None of this matters without the character of Christ-likeness that matches the behaviors. Paul told disciples in Corinth that, that even if he spoke in tongues but had not love, it would all be meaningless. He would be the equivalent of a, a noisy gong, right? Some, some loud cymbals. It would just be meaningless noise, right? His actions were empty apart from the character that fills out the actions. Church, we don't want to be a people who show up and pretend to walk in the way of Christ, but don't have the inner character to match it. That's why what we prayed this morning through, through song is so important. Because we're praying the aspirations in, with recognition that we cannot do it apart from Christ. Rather, we need Christ to, to have his way in us, to do that work in us, to transform us from the inside out. So Christianity, d- discipleship, spiritual leadership is not about completing some tasks on a job description or, or making, sh- making sure our life lines up with what we believe is the expectation of what it should look like. Spiritual leadership It's about cultivating godly character through which God is working to redeem and renew his creation. Let me say that one more time. Spiritual leadership is about cultivating godly character. Our Bibles say godliness, pursuing godliness, right? It's about cultivating godly character through which God is working to redeem and renew his creation. It's not about you. Right? The worship team kind of pointed to this when we read Ephesians chapter 2, saying the, 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 the character in the story is not you, it's about God. God's plan for spiritual leadership, for developing and growing us, is not so that we can feel good about ourselves or feel like we've lived a satisfied and content life, but because God has chosen to work in us and through us to redeem his creation and renew it and make it whole again. So this morning, uh, as we turn our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want to encourage us to to think about godly character, to to think about the kind of godliness that God desires of his spiritual leaders. It's not a a qualification list that, that we can say, here's my pedigree, this is why I think I'm worthy of being a spiritual leader. It's about the character of godliness that he wants to shape and mold and form in you so that this world might be renewed, redeemed and renewed for his kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, again, open them to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll be reading for us first seven verses this morning. It'll be on the screen. You can use your phone, your app, whatever, whatever is easiest for you, but let's read the Word of God this morning. The saying is trustworthy, Paul says. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. 
Heavenly Father, this is your word. Lord, we sit as students of your word. Your, your self-revelation in, in speaking into this world, your existence, and in speaking into the, this world, our ability to know you. That's what we come to your word with, a desire to know you. And so, Lord, may your Holy Spirit guide us in knowing you more. That, that it would not be a, just a knowledge that we embrace with our heads, but the, the knowledge you give us this morning in your word might, might do a work of transforming our hearts from the inside out. So, Lord, have your way in us this morning. We give you our hearts. We give you our souls. Have your way in us. Through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, simply put this morning, here in our passage, Paul's telling Timothy to appoint godly leaders who lead godly lives, right? The, the historical context of the passage is such that, um, is such that, that, that there are people leading his church, leading the, the, the church there in Ephesus, who are not godly leaders, right? We, we looked at it in the past, but they're, they're teachers that, that want to kind of hear their own voice, they, they want to gather a following. They're speaking about things they don't know, and they're actually speaking about things that are not the gospel. And so they're leading people astray. They're kind of building up a following that feels good to them, right? And so Paul tells Timothy, you got to appoint godly leaders who lead godly lives, right? Spiritual leaders are not people who hold a, a specific pedigree on paper. They're not people that have had certain experiences. Spiritual leaders... Are people that are, are leaders that embody a lifestyle filled with godly character, right? Doesn't mean they're perfect, doesn't mean they've arrived at their destination of godliness, perfect godliness, but they're godly leaders leading and pursuing godly lives. This past week at, at Square One Men's Fellowship, we had a chance to kind of understand God's desire to tap certain leaders in the work of his kingdom, right? We were studying a passage in the Gospel of Luke where the angel Gabriel visits Mary and announces the fact that she's going to be with child. She's going to bear the, the Son of God. She's going to give birth to the Son of God, right? But what's interesting as we look at her story, as we look at this portion of the Gospel of Luke, is comparing it to the announcement of when John the Baptist is, is uh, or when Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, is told that she's going to be with child, right? See, John's birth announcement happens in the temple in Jerusalem. It happens in the very center of the religious world. Kind of, if we were to write this story, we'd think, yeah, that makes sense, right? Something significant in, in the religious world would happen in the center of the religious world there in the, the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus' birth announcement, where does that happen? In a small village in Galilee. You know, there's no one waiting for Mary to get done with her work in the temple. It's just Mary in her home, in a small village, Nazareth, in Galilee. John's parents come from considerable pedigree, the, the scriptures tell us, that Elizabeth is, is of the line, the family line of Aaron, which in the, the history of Israel is, is kind of the priestly line of Israel, right? Zechariah, John's father, is a priest of the division of Abijah, which again is this, this kind of well-known a division of priests that serve in the temple, and, and, he, and he was actually, when it happens, he's, he's kind of taking his turn as one of the priests to go in and serve in, the, in the, the temple space. All we're told about Mary is that she's a virgin, betrothed to Joseph. She's not yet fully a part of, the, of Joseph's family. She's not yet uh, of the line of David that Joseph is, 
And, and, and historical records assume or think that she's probably around the ages of 12 or 13 because that's when someone was, was given in marriage. So we don't really know a whole lot of her pedigree, but w- what we do know is not really what our, our world would think is much to write home about. There's not much to her. She doesn't have much pedigree that would make her seem like you know, the, the hero of the story, and yet God chose her to be the spiritual leader who would carry and give birth to the Son of God. Do, do we, there, there's values here that we understand when it comes to, to, to spiritual leaders. What you typically think is a spiritual leader, you think, well, okay, they, they, they must have gone to seminary, or they went to Bible college, or, or they've, been, they've grown up their whole life in the church, or they've been serving as a deacon or an elder for, for many, many years. They have all this experience under their belt that that, that makes them a spiritual leader in God's eyes. But Mary's story tells something a little bit different, right? See, I think Mary's story gives us a hint that spiritual leaders are not defined by their pedigree or their past. Spiritual leaders are defined by their present character, which is given to us by God through the working, uh, the, the transforming work of his Holy Spirit in us, right? We, we're like Paul, we're saying, I don't do the things I want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, right? And so the the character that matters most, the pedigree that matters most, is the character of God at work in us, but not just, hey, God's working my life, but there's visible fruit that he's transforming us, that he's growing us, he's he's changing us. My, My my resume doesn't need to have all my, list all my experiences in the schools I went to or anything like that. It should be a list of the characters, the, the Christ-like character that God is working on and has been working on in my life. So the reason this is relevant to Timothy this morning is that the church in Ephesus needed leaders who possess and are pursuing godly character. Overseers is the name Paul uses to refer to elders as spiritual leaders in the, in the church there in Ephesus who, who literally had oversight of the people of God there. They were literally overseeing the people, making sure they were walking in the ways of Jesus, following the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the overseers weren't doing their job. In fact, they weren't really overseers because, or at least they weren't overseers of the, of the church of God because they were leading people astray. They were making them followers of some other gospel, right? In the past weeks, we talked about the lack of leadership, that, the character of leadership that was present there in Ephesus. Not only were they, were they kind of teaching this false gospel, but, but they were leading people astray, knowingly leading people astray. They were looking for those people who were vulnerable to believing what's not true, what was not of God's word, what was, what was not the message that God had communicated for his church to follow and be obedient in. Maybe worse yet were their, not just their motives, but their method, that these teachers were targeting those who maybe hadn't been afforded an education in, in the, the truths of the, the church, the doctrines of the church. See, many women in the ancient Greek culture weren't given the education that many men were, and so they were seen as an easy target to persuade and lead astray. 
You may remember Paul's warnings to the church in Ephesus shortly before he left them years before. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 30, when, when he, after he plants his church and he's getting ready to move on to another place, he tells the people, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's not just that they, were, that they were speaking twisted things. They were doing it to draw away disciples after themselves. It was their goal. It was their desire. They, their, their desire wasn't to know God more. It wasn't to oversee a healthy congregation of Christ followers. Their desire was to draw away disciples after themselves. They wanted the applause. They wanted more followers. See, some scholars believe that this is why Paul specifically warned against women having authority over men. Not, not because women were not capable of having authority, but because in the Ephesian culture to which he was writing, women had not been afforded the education that men were, and so were less trained in the doctrines of the church that was new and growing. That isn't necessarily the belief of, of every uh, God, uh, trained uh, leader in, in preaching and teaching the word, but this is certainly uh, one of the views that, that, that Paul's words for men or women to not have authority over the men were, were specific to the culture and not necessarily universal for all time. And then there are others that believe that Paul's teaching here was meant to be uh, directive towards the church for all time. That aside... In fact, that actually becomes a hot topic of debate in the church of today is what role do women have in ministry and whatnot. That is not, uh, it's important, but if we, if we look too closely at that, we miss what Paul's main message is here. Namely, that spiritual leaders, men and women, cultivate godly character in pursuing godliness. See, the character of these false teachers was not only lacking, they weren't only not teaching the gospel, there was evil in their hearts, speaking twisted things to lead disciples away from the Lord and after themselves. This is not what God characterizes as a healthy spiritual leader. See, instead, Paul gives Timothy four areas of healthy spiritual leadership characters, right? So first, their, their outward behavior is observable and obedient. It says they lead their families well. That's another one. They, they have some experience as disciples of Jesus. And, and the last one, they have the respect of those outside the church body. Let, let's look at the, the first one of the outward behavior that's observable. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 to 3. Paul writes, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. See, uh, he's concerned about how people are living out, embodying the gospel which they proclaim to be true, right? 
It's not just a matter of them saying, yes, I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, do you have lives that match that proclamation that you say you believe to be true? See, Paul was a missionary. He was a church planter, but he planted churches in places where the gospel had not yet come. And, but beyond his missionary heart, Paul recognizes the purpose that Jesus has baked into his church. See, the, we are a city on a hill. We are, we are a light that can't be hidden. We are the light of the world. We're meant to, to proclaim and embody the light of Jesus Christ to this world. We're called to make disciples of Jesus throughout all the nations. So tell me something. How are we to do this if our character doesn't reflect that of Jesus and his kingdom? Would you be inclined to, to believe in Jesus if all of his followers were these skeevy, questionable characters, questionable in their dealings, unfaithful to their spouses, emotionally unpredictable, uncontrolled, unwise, violent people? Would you, would you be drawn to following Jesus even if his own followers loved other things more than Jesus? What if, what if they were lovers of money and then Jesus came in somewhere after that? Would you say, man, this Jesus guy, he sounds pretty good. No, right? Our outward observable character needs to align with our inner belief of who Jesus is. But oftentimes, that's not true. Sadly, there have been many leaders who have lost sight of their priority of their own spiritual formation and growth in Christ-likeness and have been led astray. In this day and age, with social media and news, I mean, there is a list of, of Christian leaders that have fallen from grace. That, that actually, I wouldn't say that they made one mistake, but their mistakes were exposed. They had been living a life that was not in congruency with what they believed, and they could do that for a little while, but ultimately the truth would come to light. See, I think as Christians, we should understand that what Paul's saying here is not just pretend to walk the walk. He's saying, no, your character, not just your, your behavior once in a while, your character needs to be observable. If people in your life don't know you as being a person that reflects the character of Christ, something is wrong. I thought about going through a list of Christian leaders who have fallen from grace, but I'm not going to do that. Because the reality is, they're no different or better than any of us. There's, their life is just more visible, isn't it? I, I imagine if we were to list out our lives, right? If we were to go through a list of our lives, we would see, we, would, we might be surprised, maybe we wouldn't be surprised by the names of people who have, who, who have kind of lived that life on the outside, but on the inside, their character doesn't reflect that of Christ. See, what matters most to the church, not just there in Ephesus, but for years to come, for throughout all eternity, is being faithful to our calling to pursue Jesus, to pursue godliness, and following Jesus above all else. 
So whatever you might think of their earthly ministry, these leaders who have fallen from grace, their witness for Christ is forever tarnished. They may have done good things, and we may not want to throw out the baby with the bathwater because they may have been good teachers, but to what end? You, you wonder, to what end is their witness? Because they weren't even living out the teaching to which they proclaimed. Now, it's easy for me to stand up here and, and say this, so, so, so hear that with a measure of grace as well, right? Hear that with a measure of grace to say they're not superhuman, but we as followers of Christ need to be aiming toward pursuing, living godly lives. Living the kind of lives where our outward behavior reflects our inward character. Namely, that, 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 that we might live above reproach. That, that as, as people might come to us, they don't have reason to, to, to make an accusation against us because we've, we've lived our lives in such a way, such prudent ways that there's really no reason for them to bring an accusation against us. That we're faithful to our spouses. This idea of a husband of one wife. Now, the, the, the studying that I was able to do this week, you know, we could read it as this is uh, speaking to a man, a husband toward his wife. And that, that beyond that, it's, it's, it's that there's no, no place for, uh, for him to have more than one wife ever. What Paul's talking about is this idea of polygamy here. He's saying, it's, if you're not faithful to the one woman that God has given you, how can you be faithful to being a leader of the church to which God has called you to be a part of? Be sober-minded, not being so quick, quick-witted and quick res- to respond, but being slow to speak and quick to listen, self-controlled, not, not losing our tempers, but, but being faithful to, to be present, to, to listening and paying attention to what God is doing and being faithful to where he's going. I mean, some of these are pretty straightforward. Hospitable, not a drunkard. Gentle, not violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I think they're all pretty straightforward, but the the key is these are all behaviors that are observable to the people around us. Why? Does it matter? Because our witness matters. We're called to lead others in the faith. And that means that they're going to look upon us and see our lives. And, and, and what, they, what God desires for them to see is not someone who's pretending to walk the Christian life, but someone who believes it so deeply in the core of their being that, that they're able to give, make visible their own faithfulness in pursuing Jesus. Church, some leaders have allowed their witness to be destroyed by, by living a lie. By, by proclaiming a truth out here, but then behaving differently over here. There's, there's an incongruency between their inner life and their outer life. Don't let this happen to you. Don't let this happen to your witness. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but in humility and patience, let God align your inner life with your outer life. See, when people observe your life, Let them observe your trust in Jesus. Let them observe the work that Jesus is doing in you. Let that be your witness. Because when you do that, people can see God's grace, his forgiveness, his power to redeem and restore and renew. We need to let people observe our lives. They don't need to see a perfect person. 
They do need to see a godly person pursuing a life of godliness. So Paul needed overseers in the church in Ephesus whose lives of obedience to Jesus were observable, but he also told Timothy that they needed leaders who led their own families well. Why is this important? Because families were a microcosm of a macrocosm, right? They're, they're a microcosm of a macrocosm. They're, they're a small example of a much bigger example, a much bigger entity, right? Our families are a small version of the much larger family that is the family of God, united through Jesus Christ. See, I think if you look back on, Jesus, on God's story, on his narrative throughout all of Scripture, God's story has always worked through families. Adam and Eve, right? Abraham. Abraham was, was promised that he will, be a, a, he will be blessed and he will be a blessing, that, that through him he will make the, him the father of many nations, right? It starts with a, a, a small unit and grows to a much large, larger unit. Think of Jacob. The promises of God pass through Jacob and his family through his, 11, uh, through the, his 12 sons, and, and become, which become the tribes of Israel, which becomes a, a, a mighty nation, Right? But it starts with the family unit. See, the church needs leaders who are not neglecting their higher calling to their home so they can pursue the glitz and glam of leadership in the family of God. Right? We, we need not be attracted to uh, wanting to be seen as this leader in the church or in the community of faith. We, we need to be driven by the desire for faithfulness in our own home, in our own household. See, if, if your own household can't see Christ in you, then I guarantee that the people in the body of Christ won't see Christ in you either. And if the people in the body of Christ don't see Christ in your home, then I can guarantee that people outside the body of Christ won't see Christ in you, in your home, or in your church. A healthy spiritual leader recognizes their own household as their primary ministry ground. It, it, it's not the place that, that we, we kind of get to when we're all done with the important stuff. We recognize the value and the meaning and the priority of the ministry we are given, first and foremost, in our own household. So healthy spiritual leaders uh, live observably obedient lives for others to see. They, they lead their own households well. And then thirdly, they're not new to following Jesus. Verse 6 of our passage, Paul says, He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. See, I think this one has nothing to do with age and everything to do with the amount of time a person has put their trust in Jesus. How long have they been walking with Jesus? And not just, sorry, maybe that's a little bit of a, a misnomer. Maybe it's not how long they've been walking with Jesus, but how much has Jesus been working in their life? And how, how long have they had the opportunity to, to see and know and understand Jesus more fully and trust in him? See, for a, a new believer, they're focused more on learning about the life of faith that they've been that they've, they've they've chosen to pursue, they're they're more focused on learning about God, learning about Jesus, than they are about seeing how to pass on the faith to others. Why? 
It's because we can't give to others what we don't yet have. And, and what a new believer doesn't yet have is a robust knowledge of the faith. Right? Paul's concerned about people teaching the truths of God's word, the doctrines of our faith, the, the, the truths to which we proclaim and say yes to and then live in obedience to. And so the leaders there in Ephesus, they're not there yet. And so one of the things that Paul recognizes is necessary for an overseer in the church, for someone who's leading others, is someone who's been walking with Jesus and has been given the chance to have a more robust knowledge of the faith. I think it's important that a healthy spiritual leader has some time walking with Jesus and learning the, the, what it means to, to, to be formed in Christ's character. When we first come to Jesus, think about the ambitions you come to Jesus with. Your desires, your, your, your understanding of the culture, your ambitions are shaped by this world. We're, we're still filled with worldly ambitions. We, we're, we're still trying to climb to the top of the ladder to be first, to, be, to prove our worth, to be excellent. But those things are, are reversed in the kingdom of God, Right? This is not something we come to Christianity having a firm knowledge of, but something we come to realize as we walk with Jesus. These are values and ambitions that are formed in us through Christ. And so as Christ is formed in us, we learn to relate more to kingdom ambitions. The, the, the ambitions that say the last shall be first, that we're called to be a servant, to be a servant leader. So I think the church needs healthy spiritual leaders who aren't blinded by the glamour of title and authority or power, but are excited to pass on the faith with humility and gentleness. So healthy spiritual leaders live observably obedient lives. They lead their own households well, and they're not new to following Jesus. Not because someone new to following Jesus isn't meaningful and, and important and valuable, but because they, they need the time to build up the treasures that they can pass on in the faith. And then lastly, Paul tells Timothy that, that healthy spiritual leaders have the respect of those outside the body of Christ. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. See, I hope it's clear by now that Paul is not concerned with making sure we're taking care of our own for our own sake. Paul is, is not saying, hey, we need healthy spiritual leaders to care for the flock because that's what matters most. No, Paul's concern is that there are overseers of the flock who are caring for the people of God so that the people of God can get out there and be the light of the world. Paul's concerned with healthy spiritual leadership overseeing a healthy faith community so, so that the gospel of Jesus would spread and the kingdom of God would grow. Is that clear? Do, do we understand? That? I, mean, I think we sometimes approach this passage and we don't hear any of this spiritual, the, the character of healthy spiritual leadership stuff because we're caught up in the whole debate of, of men and women and, and eldership and, and this, is, this is a passage that speaks just to the, 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 the kind of the, the the uh, qualifications of an elder, but 
But that's missing the point of what Paul's talking about. Yeah, he's talking about elders here, but his depiction of an elder is a healthy spiritual leader to which we're all called to embody and to live out. And so if we get caught up in looking at, is this about men or women or what that, we're missing the point. Because Paul cares about a healthy faith community that's working together to see the kingdom of God grow and expand through the lives of healthy spiritual leaders in the congregation. And that wasn't happening in Ephesus. Why? Because he had unhealthy spiritual leaders in place, teaching things that were not the doctrines of the church, that were not the the truths of the church of Jesus Christ, and actually leading people astray to follow them. Look at me. Follow me. Listen to my, my, you know, I'm very suave in the language I use, and I'm a cool person. Come spend time with me. Rather than focus on Jesus and what he's done for you and his love for you and his desire to see the gospel or the, the, the world renewed and redeemed. See, we don't follow Jesus or lead others in the church for applause. We do it, not even so that I can feel good or better about myself or my own past. We are beggars who have found bread. And now we're pointing other beggars where to find the bread that we found. We found something true and good in Christ. And now we're not just going to sit around the table and keep feeding ourselves off the, the, the feast that God's laid out before us. We're going to get out there and tell others where to find this feast. See, we don't follow Jesus just so we can feel good about ourselves. We do it to further the kingdom of God and, and the mission of Jesus on this earth. We go forth to make disciples of Jesus, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Church, I hope you hear me when I say it's not about you. I don't say that to kind of like say, oh, you're, you're, you're worm food or you know, you're a bad person or anything like that. I, I, I'm not looking to beat you down. I'm hoping to expand your understanding of what God wants to do in your life and through you. He is on a mission to transform you, to redeem you, renew you, so that others might know of his love and his grace. So your character as a growing disciple matters because your witness matters. Our reputation with those outside the church matters. Does our community know us to be welcoming and inviting? Do, do they know that we care about their well-being? Or do they, do they think we only care about what happens within the walls of this building? Do, do they think we only care about uh, defending the gospel and not communicating the gospel to them? Do, do they care about us letting them know what we're all about? So the reality is that this is a tall order for the church, and, and especially in our day. It, it was back then as well. It, it's why Paul tells Timothy that the church needs leaders who will go first in this area, who will go first in, in being an example of building a good reputation with others outside the faith. Church, how are we to be a city on a hill? How are we to be a light to the world if the world can't see the light in us? 
I'm, I'm not saying we need to put ourselves in the world and just kind of blend into the values of the world and, and be anonymous. I'm saying we need to be out there in the world in such a way that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ stands out, is visible, and is not just visible from a distance, but is tangibly experienced by those outside the faith. And to do that, the church needs leaders who will go first in, in building a good reputation with those outside the faith. So Paul tells Timothy that the church needs healthy spiritual leaders who live observably obedient lives, lead their households well, spend time walking with Jesus, and finally have built a good reputation with those outside the faith. See, healthy spiritual leaders build healthy spiritual leaders around them. That's what we do, right? Our lives are meant to influence the lives of people around us. Not, not to influence them to come and follow me, or, 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 but to follow more closely with Jesus. One of my mentors in seminary had the saying he liked. He, he would say, as goes the leader, so goes the organization, right? So as goes the leader, as, you know, for example, <laughs> no, not, I won't use myself as an example because I'm not sure it would go so well. But as goes the leader, so goes the organization, right? As the leader of the organization goes, so goes the organization along with them. But then further to that, as the soul of the leader goes, so goes the leader. So it's not just a matter of me pretending to be a good pastor. I need, I need to let Christ work in me, challenge me, grow me, transform me with his word. I need to be pursuing a godly life. I, I need to be walking in godliness. Uh, our leaders, our elders need to be walking in godliness. You should expect that of them. But also, it's not just them. We should expect it of one another. Because as our heart goes, so goes the group to which we are called to lead. Right? See, a healthy church starts with you and me. On a micro level, what godliness is lived out within our own lives, the lives of spiritual leaders, naturally spills out into the community around us and shapes the people we're leading. I'm not even talking about our neighborhoods. I'm talking about our households even. Right? You want, you, you, want a, you want a healthier home life? Start here. But know that it's not just about a healthier home life. Because that healthy home life is meant to, to, to be shared within the community of faith. To impact the faith community. And then beyond to those outside the faith community. This is how God works. If I might, let, let me try to reword my mentor's saying a little bit. See, God designed the church to influence this world, yes? And, and, and just as a leader is meant to influence an organization, the church is, is the, the household of God through which the, the, the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to spill over into the world, right? And so if I could reword my mentor's saying a little bit, as the spiritual leader goes, so goes the household of God. But church, here's where we take hope. As the household of God goes, so goes the world. Right? We cannot focus on, on just being the church in here in these closed doors. We need to be the church that is out there influencing this world. And it starts 
when we stop focusing on our pedigree of saying, I go to Trinity Baptist Church and start focusing on the character of Christ that's formed in me through Christ. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Have your way in me. Form your characters, the the characteristics of Christ in me because I cannot do it. I do not have the ability in my own flesh to do. And so humbly I ask, have your way in me. As the spiritual leader goes, so goes the household of God. And as the household of God goes, so goes the world. Church, recommit yourself to growing healthier as a spiritual leader. And over time, you will see how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is to change the world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that you have given us that you have given us the, your, your body, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus on this earth. You welcome us into the family of God through Jesus. And Lord, you are not a God who sits far off in the distance, but you are a God who is near to us, who is loving, who is gentle when we need your gentleness, but who is firm and 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 strong in leading us in the way that you would have us go as we humbly depend upon you. So, Lord, have your way in us. Lord, we want to give you our heart. We want to give you our soul. We want you to have your way in us, but we need your help because we want it said of Trinity, not that, that there is a church that holds the, the truths of Christ. We want it said that there is a church that holds the truths of Christ and lives the truths of Christ out, and it is visible in their community in which they're planted. Lord, may that be true of us, not just today, but forever as we grow as healthy spiritual leaders. And Lord, may it start today in my heart, in in each of our hearts. Conform us to the image of your son, Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, there, it's, it's no small thing that, that we have the opportunity to, 